word now mm. in truth and grace, Father. And, mm. and I pray for those that are sitting here, Lord, for myself, Lord. I pray that um, as your word is proclaimed, Lord, that we would um, be in awe of who you are mm -hmm. and what you have done to make us your people. Mm. Amen. Lord, so I pray you be your servant right now. Mm -hmm. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, I guess Doug pretty much gave you my life story there, so I don't know if I have much more to add. Um, but it is, it's fun to be here, and especially, you know, I look out and I see, well, I see my literal family, um, you know, my mom, my sister, my wife, and all, um, but I also see so many people that have, uh, they already knew all that stuff. <laughs> that was almost a, a superfluous, you know, addition to introducing me, because you guys know me so well. I mean, thanks for doing it, Doug. Uh, but just to say, um, it's, almost, it's almost weird to be up here, but it, it is good, it is good to be here. Um, and so our text this morning is 1 John 3, 11 through 24. So if you want to start turning there, now is the time. But uh, so in 1967, in preparation for the world's first uh, global televised event, it was called Our World, four young men from Liverpool in England were asked to write a song. And uh, so they did. They sat down and they thought, so if you guys, I know looking out here, none of you were probably around in 1967. <laughs> Um, but I'll, I'll just remind you, uh, so this was sort of a tumultuous time in the world. This was the height of the Vietnam War. Uh, there was, you know, some revolutionary activity sort of happening. And so these four young men, they sat down and they said, we want to write a message, uh, a simple song, sort of a grassroots sort of song that would become an anthem for world peace and, and really for love. And so they said, all you need is love. That's what the Beatles sang. Uh, some of you know, see some of you nodding your heads, you, you remember that. Um, all you need is love, they said. Well, um, it, it may not have become the, the anthem of world peace. In fact, it really it kicked off the summer of love, the free love movement, and really the sexual and cultural revolution of the 60s and 70s that we still see the impacts of today. And so the question that, that it made me think about as I was preparing here is, is it really that simple? All you need is love. And uh, I'm not quoting a different pop song here, uh, but what is love? What is love, <laughs> right? And, uh, and so th this is what it, it should make us think about. Is love just a feeling? Is that, is that what they were talking about? Is love a feeling? Is love, um, like so many of the Beatles followers thought, is love just sex? Um, is love just something that we do? Is love just a, a decision that we make? Um, now, long before, way before John Lennon and Paul McCartney picked up the pen to write All You Need Is Love, another John, the Apostle John, sat down and he wrote a letter to a church, uh, to, probably to many churches, this letter went, and he wanted to answer this exact same question, what is love? Um, what is this love that we were talking about? Uh, is it what we need? And uh, I would say the answer is Yes. Um, and so the main thing that we're going to see today from this passage, again, 1 John 3, 11 through 24, is that we as the church, we must love the church like Christ loves his church. We must love the church like Christ loves his church. And so in this passage, we see two th big things about love. Um, I won't ruin the surprise by telling you yet, but we see in, in verses 11 through 18 uh, how to love one another. And then in 19 through 24, we see what loving one another does. What loving one another does. So I will read the passage in its entirety, and then we will really get into it. 
For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God, and whatever we ask we receive from him, because we keep his commandments and do what he pleases. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given. Amen, 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 amen. So uh, for a bit of background, um, the first thing I want to sort of remind you guys of is that these letters are written, uh, the Bible is written, and especially these letters in the New Testament, were not written primarily so that you and I uh, at 1030 Cross Park Drive would have uh, a record of theology. Uh, John wrote this letter to a church to address specific problems that he saw within the church. And so uh, he's writing about love, not just, not just so uh, that we would have a, a passage about love in the New Testament to refer to on this Sunday morning, but because he saw a problem happening in that church. So when we read this, uh, we are reading the record. We're sort of getting to overhear, getting to glean from uh, the problems that were present in that church and then apply what he said to them to our lives today. So with that in mind, it's important for us to understand what the problem was in the church that he saw. Um, otherwise, the remedy will be, will be confusing for us. Verses 17 and 18 here shed more light on the problem. If you want to look down at the text with me again, he says, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. And so the problem that John is addressing, uh, as, as far as we can tell from the text itself, is that there are people in the church with needs. Uh, it seems to be, these are real concrete physical needs. Um, and there are people, and the people of the church, the church itself is not caring for the church itself. They've, it says they've closed their heart against them. They've ignored their needs. Does that idea sound kind of far-fetched to us? Um, I know a lot of us live in abundance. Um, I, I hope by the end of this passage, or by the end of this sermon, that you, that doesn't sound far-fetched to us. Um, and so in order to address this issue, in order to address the way that they've ignored the needs of one another, John draws a contrast. It's like a teaching tool. Um, not this, but this. And he gives us these two characters. And so the first one is Cain. And the second one is Christ. And what he's going to do is he's going to 
uh, make a contrast between these two and say, here's what Cain is like, and, and uh, you guys probably know this, but he would be the bad example in this, in this story, and then Christ would be the one that we should look like. And by, and by comparing um, not only their hearts, but also what they did literally, uh, actually, with their actions, uh, he wants us to learn what our love ought to look like toward the church. As Christ loves the church, so also we must love his church. And so, uh, the important, I, I want to give another bit of background here. So, when, when John says Cain, uh, to many of us, we sort of go, for better or worse, um, we go back to sort of the nursery version of that story. And it, and it goes something like this. Cain was sort of a mean brother, and he hurt his brother, and he teaches us that we should not hurt our brothers, um, which is a great way to explain that to a young child. Um, but for, John, for the people that John was preaching to, to the people that John wrote this letter to, Cain was not a nursery rhyme figure. Um, he, so like, you know how in some, um, in some realms there, there are names, there are words, there are phrases that they don't just, they carry a ton of freight. Uh, they carry a ton of meaning just within themselves. So like, uh, so if I were to say to you, Wilbur and Orville Wright, you automatically go, first man to fly an airplane. Uh, when, I, when I say to you, Neil Armstrong, you go, first man on the moon. Uh, Chuck Yeager, first man to fly uh, past the speed of sound. When John's first century audience heard the name Cain, they went, first one to murder his brother. That was just, it was like automatic. It was like on repeat, you know, in their heads. It wasn't the nursery rhyme version. This was, Cain was like the ultimate picture of, of maliciousness toward a sibling. And so it makes sense in this context uh, John calls our, our church, the people, the individuals within the church, brothers and sisters, that we have that kind of bond. And so it makes sense that he would choose Cain as this figure, as this negative figure. Um, but it, it was hard for me to imagine how to, how to give you the same feeling that I'm sure John's listeners heard when they heard this. But uh, So I'll just ask you to sort of imagine it. So John is implicitly saying to the people in the church, you are being a bunch of brother murderers. You're killing your brothers. You're, you're fratriciding them. You're, you're killing them. It's, and, and you remember, this is, that's not literally the situation he's using hyperbole, but uh, they've closed their hearts to their brothers. And he says, you're being like Cain, which to them was like, you don't just say that, right? And so uh, th that's the weight that we should feel when we read this. That, that's the sense we should have when we read this, that Cain is saying, not loving the church like Christ loved the church is like acting like a murderer. And, and, and Paul's reference here, it's intended to shock us. It's intended to be polarizing, black and white, one or the other. There are only two ways, he's saying. There's the way of Cain, and there's the way of Christ. And right now, he says, the church, when we don't love the church like Christ loved the church, and I you're going to see that we don't. <laughs> much of the time we don't love the church like Christ loved the church, he says we're acting like murderers. And, and I want to take a step back here um, and just say that as Christians, we can hear this passage like, like no one else in the world can really hear it. And, and here's what I mean. We can be completely honest with ourselves about our problems. We do not have to hide in our hearts. We don't have to, as we hear this, you don't have to start saying, no, but, but I'm different. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not like Cain. I'm, I'm better. Um, 
and I want to explain it to you this way, because we, we don't have to lie to ourselves about our attitudes, about our hearts, about our actions, and the problems that we see in our lives. So um, I'll explain it this way. So I'm, a, I'm an avid Wikipedia reader, um, and I recently watched the movie The Hunt for Red October. It's a good one, Sean Connery. Um, and so I naturally had to go to Wikipedia and read the article about submarines. So, uh, and this is a pretty constant habit of mine, just going and, and figuring out information, but what I found was fascinating, and I thought it really applied here. So, what a submarine does, and why, why submarines are built, is because they enable humans to go to underwater depths that if they were not in the protection of the hull that can take the pressure, take the depth, take the darkness for them, if they were to go outside of the protection of the submarine under all that weight of that water and that darkness, then they would just be crushed instantly and, and, and be dead. For Christians, the dearest truth of all is that we are in Christ. The, the New Testament's audacious claim is that we are so united, we are so near to God that we can be, it can be said that we are in him. L like a Navy man is inside of a submarine, protected by the protection of the whole. We are so attached to God in Christ that it can be said that we are in him. And so that means that this morning, uh, if you see, um, and, and this passage almost demands that we see problems with ourselves, you wouldn't shy away from them, but you would let the Spirit take you to the depths um, knowing that you are inside one who has taken the crushing, taken the pressure that, that you ought to have, have taken. And let that free you, uh, not, not to make excuses for ourselves, but to let this, let this passage really hit us in the way that John wants it to. So having said all of that, I know that's kind of a long prelude. We had to sort of set the table there. Uh, but 11 through 18, we see so these two things about love um, from this contrast that he draws. And the first one that we see is that true love Christ's love for the church is sacrificial. Sacrificial is the big word we're using. True love is sacrificial. So because Christ loves his church sacrificially, so also we ought to love Christ's church sacrificially. We ought to love one another sacrificially, he's saying. And so we see this in this, again, it's just this contrast that he's drawn between Cain and Christ. So the way of Cain, according, as John describes it here, if you don't remember that story, so Cain and Abel were brothers, um, and uh, Abel had a better offering than Cain, and Cain was envious, and he murders his brother. Um, but the way of Cain, as John describes it here, he says, Cain was of the evil one and murdered his brother. Why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised that the world hates you, uh, like Cain hated Abel. That's my little addition. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. That's Cain. And the way of Christ, is, it's really only given one sentence, but you'll see why that's really all you need. By this we know love, that he, that is Christ, that he laid down his life for us. So this is trying to teach us something about love, and what is it? Cain is the older brother who saw that his brother was more righteous than him, and he hated him in his heart, and so he killed him with his hands. Christ is our true older brother who saw that his brothers and sisters, you and I, he saw that we were not righteous enough. And so he loved us in our hearts. He died saying, forgive them. And he loved us and he was killed for us. Cain looked at his brother and said, why don't you suffer so that I can increase? 
Christ looked at his brothers and sisters, if you are in him today, he says, I'll suffer so that you can increase. Cain looked at his brother and said, you become poor so I can become rich. Christ looks at his brothers and sisters, he looks at his church and he says, even though I'm rich, I'll become impoverished, I'll become poor for you. Cain said to his brother, why don't you be humiliated so that I can look good, so I can be exalted? Christ says to his church, I will be humiliated so that you can get exalted. And, and to put it in the simplest way possible, Cain looked at his brother Abel and said, your life for me. Christ looked at his church. He looked at you, if you were in Christ today, and he said, I will give my life for you. True love, the love that Christ showed for his church and the love that we ought to show for Christ's church today is sacrificial. Christ shows us here that love means that our hearts are so fundamentally oriented to the good of another that nothing that we have is so valuable that we wouldn't give it up for them, not even our lives. Showing sacrificial love also means, as John says here, that our love is not just with our words, but it's with concrete sacrifices, giving up things that really cost us something. Um, and that's only possible if we know God like he says here. So let's apply this. What, what would it look like for Parkview Church to be marked by, uh, to be defined by this kind of love? Um, there are needs in this church, and, and God intends for the church uh, to be meeting the needs within the church. So th there are people with emotional needs here who need someone to sacrifice some of their time and to just be a friend. Would, would you do that? Would you sacrifice time? Would you sacrifice in conversations and try to ask questions and draw one another out rather than just hoping they'll ask questions about you and, and get you to talk about yourself? There are also people here who have, who have real physical needs, even financial needs, things like this, and they could use you know, a grocery gift card or, or some help, and loving sacrificially would mean sacrificing some of what you have so that they can have uh, some of that pressure relieved. I would urge you to get to know them first. Um, some, some people in the church lack wisdom. Um, they don't know how maybe even to read their Bible, how to pray, how to live the Christian life, how to walk in the Spirit. And so I want to encourage uh, you more mature saints, um, you, of who, you who got my Beatles reference especially, um, to <laughs> that, you would, uh, that you would put, take younger, less mature Christians under your wing um, teach them what it looks like to walk and, and mentor them in Christ. Um, God's, word also, God's word also tells us that every person in the church has been given gifts by God to serve the church. Find out what those are. Um, they're, they're the spiritual gifts that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians uh, 12 through 14. And there are, I think you also have to realize some of you have talents that uh, aren't mentioned there, like you're able to bake, you know how to manage money, you know how to do things that other people in the church don't know how to use, do. Um, and so find out what those things are and then use your gifts, use your time, use your money, your skills, everything to pour into this church. Love this church sacrificially like Christ loves you, like Christ loves his church. True love, this, this passage says, sacrifices its own good for fellow believers. And as an overflow, although this is not the, the focus of this passage, as an overflow, it even sac uh, overflows to those who don't yet know Jesus. So that's the first thing that we see. True love is sacrificial, point one. And the second thing that we see here is that true love is selfless. True love 
is selfless. And uh, there's also in, in 11 through 18 in this contrast between Cain and Christ. So the, the second thing we see, true love is selfless. And, and it's because Christ's love is selfless for his church, so also our love for the church ought to be selfless. So um, once, once more, let's think about this, this uh, contrast between Cain and Christ, right? Um, so if, if anyone remembers what the story of, of Cain is, it's Genesis 4, if you guys want to go back and read it uh, in preparation for your small group or community group, I should say. Um, so Cain, right, murders his brother, first brother murderer, what an honor. And then he, God confronts him. And God says, Cain, where's your brother? I think he knew already, but he says, Cain, where's your brother? And Cain replies, does anyone remember? Am I, I don't know where he is. Am I my brother's keeper? The approach of a lack of love is not going to look like you finding yourself raising your hand against a brother or sister in Christ. He says they close their hearts against their brothers. It doesn't start with us raising a stone. It doesn't start with us raising our voice. It doesn't start with any of that. Just like with Cain, it starts when we think of ourselves first as individuals with brothers and sisters who really have nothing to do with me and not as, as one church, one body of Christ, not a bunch of just individual Christians. It starts with us thinking that we have our own personal private relationship with God, which we must all have our own personal private relationship with God separate from anyone else and that we just happen to come to a church where a lot of other individuals just happen to come and uh, that's, that's how it starts, John is saying. It starts when we forget that the church is the body of Christ, that it is one body with members. It starts when we say, am, am I Joe's keeper, really? Am I Jessica's keeper? Are those people, like, are the people around me really my responsibility? Am I the general funds keeper? Is that really on me? Am I the, the children's ministries keeper? Am, am I really tr in charge of making sure that's taken care of? And, and this is like confession time for me. Um, I know this, this is so easy for us to do um, because we have such an emphasis on, on our personal relationship with God. And like I said, so important, so important, so vital. Uh, you know, I've just called you to, to train one another in how to do that, how to pray, how to walk in the Spirit, how to read your Bible daily and, and do that. Um, but it's so easy to say, uh, I don't need to read my Bible today because I don't need it. You know, I, I don't really feel like I need church today because I'm feeling good, right? I don't know if I need to go to community group, I don't, so on and so forth. This is like confession time for me. I see this in myself, and I think I'm sure some of you do too. Um, that we tend to make Christianity uh, a single, not a team sport. Like, it, this is, God has created a church. Christ has created a church. Christ has created a family, a body. Romans 12.9 gives us a great example of what truly selfless love would look like. He says, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. The church should be so knit together, so unified, then when, when something happens to one person, like he says, weep with those who weep, when you see someone in the church has lost a family member, someone in the church has lost a friend, the church mourns with them. When, when some, I mean, to be frank with you, when someone in the church gets a raise, the church kind of gets a raise. Um, when someone in the church loses a friend, uh, it's like the church has lost a friend too. 
that we would weep with those who weep, with, we would mourn with those who mourn, we would rejoice with those who rejoice uh, at a new child, at, at a new baptism, at, at all those things. Can you imagine the beauty of a church that's marked by this kind of love, that is so knit together, that is so, there's nothing like the beauty of sacrificial love when it is given freely. And so it, it feels strange on this, on this application, it felt strange before, to, to give instructions to you about how to love one another. Um, I don't know, if anyone who's really been in like a dating relationship or, I mean, I think even in a friendship, it kind of happens like this. Like you can imagine like, hey, um, can you just tell me what to do, to how to love you? Like, okay, let's go on dates. But I mean like at the date, what should I wear? What color? What should I say? I mean, literally, tell me which words to use, so on, you know? Um, the point is, like, when you're in a love relationship with someone, uh, that's kind of your job to figure out, like, what, what would make their hearts sing? What would make them feel the love that, uh, you know, it, it's not really the same if they just tell you their needs and then you meet them. Uh, that's important. Uh, but um, the, first, the point is, the first step to showing selfless love is to know what's going on in the church. Uh, so my suggestion is join a community group if you're not in one, or press further into the community group that already you're in. Um, guess what? I know yours probably has problems um, because it's made up of sinners, like every community group. Press into those problems. Take responsibility for those problems. Don't say, oh, are those my, am I the keeper of the community group? That's not my problem. Um, press into those. Get to know your brothers and sisters in Christ. Stay after church today and have a, have a real conversation with someone. Um, second thing I would say is pray for those people. Uh, I've heard it said that the most common lie told in church is, I'll pray for you. Isn't that, it's so easy to just, oh yeah, I'll pray for that. Thanks for telling me, thanks for letting me know. Um, but because of that, I've found that one of the most effective ways to show people love for them is to actually follow up on prayer requests. So when someone tells you, you take it seriously, you say, that, that problem is now my problem too. And so it's, my, it's, it's for me to pray for you. And then I've, I've never seen something affect the, the complexion and the connection of a community group like when the people in the church are meeting outside of it and especially when they just follow up on prayer requests when on a Tuesday or Wednesday or a few days after, um, they, they just shoot a text and say, hey, tell me how, uh, whatever it was, you know, tell me how that's going. Tell me how it's going. I've been praying for you. Pray for those people. Shock them. And uh, I worry that um, when we think of love, we think of just uh, touchy-feely sort of caring for one another in really warm ways. I think that another way that we need to love one another is um, the church marked by selfless love, by sacrificial love, uh, would be filled not only with that sort of uh, warm, fuzzy love, but it would also be filled with more rebuke. It's, it's hard, it is not comfortable to see problems in another person's life and, and have to say something about them. But that, that means sacrificing, you, you might even be willing to sacrifice that friendship in order to love that person well. Um, and I think a, a lot of people I know, even in this room looking around, I know you've seen those people come back to you and say thank you. Loving people might look like just speaking truth and having more hard conversations in the church. So because Christ has loved us with sacrificial, selfless love, these two things that we've seen here, the church also ought to love the church with sacrificial, selfless love. And this last thing that we see in verses 19 through 24 is how to seek assurance. So there's what love does. And so I almost can't introduce a point without really explaining it. So um, 
what I see here is that, is that John has just laid down the gauntlet for what love ought to look like in the church. And when we look at what Christ expects of us in our love for one another, even just within the church, even for people who in some ways are really a lot like us, um, I, have to, I have to believe that he just realizes, John as a good pastor goes, these people probably feel a little crushed right now. Um, and in a sense, I think if you don't feel that, at least in a little bit, then I probably just haven't been a good communicator so far. Um, when you look at what God's love looks like, and then, uh, and then Jesus says to his disciples, if the world wants to know what love looks like, they should look at you. What a, that's a heavy weight, right? That our love ought to look like that. We, we ought to be able to give sacrificially. We ought to just live for others, live selflessly. And so I want, want you to see that what, what John is saying, he's saying that we seek assurance, assurance that we even are Christians um, by loving and as by doing two things specifically. The first one, uh, as you can see, I'll just point this to you in the text. So he says that we are assured because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he has commanded us. That's the command. So it's two things, believe in the son, and then love one another. And what John is talking about is outward evidence of an inward truth. So uh, he imagines that these church people are saying, you know, like, I have not done, like, I am more like Cain than like Christ. So much of the time, I think of myself first. I, I want others to sacrifice to meet my needs, and I stand on my rights, and I just want them to do what's best for me. And their hearts are just, they're broken, right? And to the point where they're even thinking, am I even a Christian? Um, and what John wants them to see is that what it means to be assured as a Christian is that you see the, the inward reality that we have God's spirit, that we do belong to God. That's the evidence that we belong to God, that we're Christians flowing out of our lives, right? Flowing out of our lives. What has come in, God's love, is also coming out. Um, so the first thing that we see is trust God. This is this two-part command, trust God. And specifically, he says in verse 23, like I said, this command that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, the first thing. So trust God. And, you know, it's confusing to read this in a way because you, so you read in verse 20, it says, for whenever our hearts condemn us, it's almost as if he's expecting, when our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Now, to someone who's feeling like they have not measured up, how is it supposed to be a comfort to them that they would read that, you know, when, when he says, God is greater than our hearts. He's bigger, he's wider, he's larger than our hearts, and he knows everything. Someone who's feeling guilty, he's invoking judgment language here. He sees everything. He knows all. He knows. Can you imagine the power of a judge who doesn't just look at sort of the evidence of a case in a human sense, but, but looks straight down into your heart? How, how can that comfort people who are feeling conviction over their lack of love, the way that they've been like Cain in their hearts and in their actions? Well, the answer is that, that God's perfect standard, which praise God, he's a perfect judge, but God's perfect standard can only be a comfort to us when we see that God has already provided a perfect sacrifice for us. And this is what he's saying. Believe in Jesus Christ. Believe in the name of Jesus Christ. That is the first step to having assurance of salvation, to have assurance that you belong to God. Believe in his righteousness. Believe uh, be, be willing to confess to God. I've been like Cain in my heart. I've been like Cain toward my brothers and my sisters. I've thought of myself as an individual. I've separated myself from others. 
and I know I haven't done as, my, as I ought, but Christ is beckoning you, and he is, he is longing for you to give him your guilt, to give him all of your guilt. Don't hang on to it. He is beckoning you to, he is eager to take your shame this morning. Some of you, uh, I, I would urge you to give, to do that for the first time. Give him your guilt. All, not just your lack of love, but the way you've disobeyed God in so many ways to give it to him. He is eager to forgive you. He has already done it. He beckons you to take his burden, take your burden to him and to exchange it for his. To be a Christian means to be so wrapped up in Christ, like I was talking about the submarine, so wrapped up in Christ, like a little kid that pops out of the ocean cold and its mom comes and puts a warm towel around it. We are so wrapped up in Christ, so wrapped up in his love that, that when God, the perfect judge and father, the perfect judge of the world looks at you with his penetrating gaze, with his gaze that sees all things, sees all hearts, he doesn't see our mess, he sees his perfect son. Amen. The first thing to do when we feel condemnation, when we see that we haven't measured up, is to go to God and say, would you take my guilt? I am guilty. Take my guilt. Trust in him. The second thing that we must do is to love, that we must respond in love. Respond to Jesus and love his church like he loves his church. And, and I, I need you to note that the order that he gives here is not just given for no reason. Trust in God and then respond in obedience. It cannot go the other way. We are not justified by the things that we do. We will never love our way to God. He has loved his way to us. So, um, and this is, this is the evidence. When we love our brothers and sisters, John is saying, this, this is one of the main ways that we can know that God love, God's love has come into our hearts because it's starting to push its way out of our hearts toward those around us. And so I, I imagine that someone... Uh, a critical person in this room, praise God you're here, will say, hey, I thought that you were saying that we're saved by what Jesus has done, not what we have done. So why is it that he's saying love one another here? I thought it was just, we're just saved by what he did. And to that, I would like to give this illustration. So um, imagine one day you go down to Lowe's down, uh, and, and you want to get a fruit tree for your yard. Great idea, I think. Um, and so you go and you find where all the, all the peach trees are lined up. And if you're, you're a frugal person like me, and so you see they're all sort of sitting in their five-gallon buckets, and one of them, like, it's a little bit rough, and it has its label knocked off, but it looks like the other ones, and so, uh, and it's like half off. So you're like, I'm getting that one. Take it home, plant it in your yard. One year goes by. You're faithfully watering this thing. You're taking care of it. Two years go by. Still no, still no fruit. Three years go by. Four years go by. And then finally, you kind of go, I'm getting at my wit's end. Is this thing actually a peach tree? And finally, one, one cool summer morning, you look out, and there are some, just some little green buds. They're just almost too small. To, you, you have to go out and kind of make sure, okay, yes. A couple weeks later, it's covered in them, and then by the end of the summer, it is just, it's groaning under the weight of this lush uh, pink and, and yellow fruit. And you go, it was a peach tree. Now, the, the question is, and the point is, when did that tree become a peach tree? Did it become a peach tree when you, when you planted it in its yard? Did it become one you, when you bought it at the store? Um, did it even become one when, it, when you saw the fruit on it? No. Uh, but if it had never produced that fruit, you would say, I, I must have picked it, like when I picked it up at the store, it was just, it didn't belong with the other peach trees. It was never one from the beginning. And so in the same way, if, if we don't see our hearts producing love, John is saying, I, 
John is not saying you're definitely not a Christian, but he's saying you can have no assurance that you are until you see the fruit of love pouring out of your life from God. And that's why it matters that we first trust God. We can only pour out of our lives. We can only sacrifice when we've been given Jesus' perfect sacrifice. And that's why it's, it matters so much that this order goes like this. And so John's solution to assurance is this. Trust God. Trust in Jesus. Trust in the name of Jesus. Cast yourself on his grace. And then let God's love pour out of your love, or pour out of your hearts toward others. And so, uh, in the end, can we agree with John and Paul and, and Ringo and George and, and, say, uh, and say all we need is love? All you need is love? Uh, I mean, the point is that they kind of left it ambiguous. What is this love that we were talking about? And that's what the Apostle John was trying to address. And, and his answer was sacrificial love, selfless love, love that forgets itself and, and thinks of others, love that gives to the good of others rather than thinking of its own good first. Can we say that love is all that we need? And so, have you ever looked outside um, or seen someone comes into your house and they say, man, it's a windy day. What a windy day out. And you look out the window and you see, I always thought this was funny, you see the the waves are blowing in the wind, leaves are everywhere, and someone throws a frisbee, it goes into the next county. Um, It's not the wind that you're seeing, right? I mean, the wind is invisible, right? but what you see is what the wind is doing. What it's doing to the tree is whipping it back and forth. What's doing the frisbee is taking it into the next county. What's doing with the leaves is whatever it wishes to. God's spirit is described like a wind like this. Um, the world may not be able to see our God. Christ came down, was the full manifestation of who God was. And when he left, he said to his disciples, if the world wants to know what love is, they ought to look at you. And it's going to be better for you than if I stayed here because I'm going to give you my spirit. When the, the world may not be able to see our invisible God, but when they see the way that his love animates us to love one another sacrificially and selflessly in ways that the world cannot understand, it is like walking down the street feeling no wind at all and seeing a, a, a tree blowing in the wind. What is happening to that thing? When, when the world sees what true love looks like, sacrificial love, they will have to say, where is that coming from? And we will tell them that we have trusted God and we love the brothers like he loves his church. God's church will be beautified. God will be honored. And we will serve as a true witness to this watching world. Let's pray. Lord, we are so thankful for your word um, that comes, convicts us of sin, and reminds us that our righteousness is in you alone. And so I pray uh, that we would be transfixed on you and that we would be transformed by your grace this morning, and that this church would begin to look more and more like our sacrificial and perfect king who has done everything for us, who has given us the perfect sacrifice, who has been completely selfless, who who died on the cross looking at brothers and sisters like you and I and saying, forgive them, Lord, that we, we don't have to be like Cain, demanding others meet our needs, but we can be like Christ, serving out of the abundance of God's spirit, the love that has been poured into our heart by the spirit. So I pray that we would go out this week in love, um, knowing the love of God and therefore being able to love one another radically. I pray all this in your son's perfect and holy name. Amen.